Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. But I would like to see a show of hands of um, how many people here have failed at something? And if your hand's not up, you're lying, but... <laughs> okay, good. So I'm in really good company, and I'm talking to the right group of people. I'm so glad. Because um, what I'd like to share about tonight is overcoming failure. Um, I'd just gotten inspired by a few things I had been reading and, you know, some stuff that I'd heard, and it's just like, you know, everybody fails at something at some point, big or small, and... Our, our response to it and our perspective of it can really determine whether or not we move forward, learn from it, and grow, or whether it just breaks us and shuts us down and we get stuck there. Um, you know, a couple of examples that we hear all the time, I'm sure you've seen this sent to you via email and stuff, of um, one is Lincoln, like it runs down all the times he ran for this, he ran for that, and <laughs> you know, his wife dies, and this and this and this and this and this, before he finally gets elected president. It's like... <coughs> You gotta go, man, it's, his whole thing is a long string of what we go as failures <laughs> before you finally see <laughs> some success, yet, you know, the guy persevered, was president, did some great things. Um, and another one, I was doing some reading uh, about Thomas Edison, and I mean, this guy, the amount of stuff that he did, not only the stuff that he invented, but I mean, all the companies and stuff that he had, and I mean, the guy really was brilliant, not only as an inventor, but as a businessman. And I mean, he was smart too. While he was working on something, he, you know, filed like some caveats with the patent office because he knew he was going to get there, so he didn't want somebody to try and claim it sooner. <laughs> it's like, the guy was really smart, but, you know, of course, the, he did the phonograph, which is a really interesting story about what he was actually trying to do and <laughs> ended up discovering how to record and play back <laughs> sound. And um, he also did motion picture. He kind of was the one starting out in filming and things. And then Eastman Kodak started producing the film so he could actually go places with it. But he was involved in, you know, the filming and production of the first movie. <laughs> and so all kinds of things. Of course, very well known for light bulb, which is the example you hear all the time of, you know, listing failure versus the final outcome. Uh, I was reading, there's a few different opinions about how many prototypes he had at, read anywhere from 6,000 to 10,000 prototypes before, over the course of a couple years before he got his, you know, working light bulb that he demonstrated at whatever place he did. And, you know, it's like, you think about sticking through something through <laughs> several years and, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of something not working. And, you know, the supposed quote is when he was being asked about, well, you know, about all those failures leading up to whatever. And he said, you know, this is what supposedly what he said anyway was, you know, those weren't failures. I just learned 10,000 ways not to do it. <laughs> It's like, you know, that perspective really makes or breaks a difference on getting through failure and overcoming failure. And uh, I've been, I've got a thing that converts VHS tapes to DVDs. And so we've got, the church has a slew of parenting videos, which are great. I mean, I've watched some of the first ones. And so I'm going through converting them to DVD because who's got VHS anymore? But perfectly. I mean, it's like, you know, 18 sessions. Why buy it again when we own it? So 
I have them running, you know, in the background while I'm doing other things. But I'm telling you what, I mean, they're so good that I find myself, you know, leaving the computer and going, sitting down watching these parenting videos. And uh, one of the comments, because they do the teaching and then there's a discussion with another couple that they have and they do some more at the end. And at one of the discussion points, um, the woman was saying, you know, this is really, this is for adults too. She's like, this is not necessarily just about parenting, which is, I mean, it's so true. The, the principles... The principles of God are the principles of God, and they work and apply in any <laughs> setting. And so you've got, you know, somebody who's found some great stuff and honed it in on how it applies to parenting, but truth is truth. And so as I'm sitting, I had one of them running a couple days ago, and they were talking about discipline and how to discipline and principles of discipline and, and really the reasons, the biblical reasons behind why you would do some things. And, and he get, got to talking about, um, he was talking about spanking and when things are appropriate. And the point he kept bringing up is you have to consider, consider the offense. Consider, you know, was this the, you know, first time this kid has lied in nine months? Or is this kid characterized by lying? And you would have a very different response to whether this was an isolated incident that certainly needs to be dealt with versus, you know, is this child characterized by rebellion or characterized by stealing? And and it, it really got me thinking about, you know, that principle applied to how we look at failure and how we deal with failure. You know, do we take it and go, okay, this is an incident, or do we allow ourselves to decide we're characterized by this and, de you know, determine our identity? And so all of that just kind of got me <laughs> going and thinking, it's like, you know, we've got, um, we'll look at several biblical examples of people. They had failures. Some of them had huge failures but we don't characterize them by that failure. We look at you know, the character of their entire life and we see that they had an incident of failure, but this was not who they were. You can have a failure, it doesn't mean you are a failure. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> y'all know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I wanna look at a couple of those um, because really, I mean, these are folks who, they are the pillars or foundation of who we draw our lessons from. We've got, you know, all through scripture, great leaders, great worshipers, lovers of God, people who obeyed, and they had massive failures, but they weren't characterized by it. And then looking at, okay, so how do we overcome those failures? How do we have a good response to it to where it propels us forward, it doesn't crush us? Um, so a couple examples. Folks who not characterized by failure but had them. Moses is one. You know, I mean, here's Moses, who, you know, has a very miraculous divine existence, really. I mean, he was supposed to be killed off with all the other Hebrew boys and raised in Pharaoh's household. And, you know, his calling to be the deliverer of Israel. And he's, <laughs> all the things you look through Moses, I mean, the miracles, just dealing with Pharaoh and all the plagues and getting the children of Israel out and 40 years in the wilderness and all of the miracles and provision and leadership and setting up the tabernacle and his face-to-face -face meetings with God. I mean, this was an amazing, amazing guy, okay? But he also, he had some screw-ups. <laughs> um, one of them, I mean, he starts off, the f one of the first few things after, you know, his baby life that we hear about is him killing an Egyptian. You know, he's looking and seeing the Hebrew people being mistreated by the Egyptians. 
and you know, scripture says, he, you know, he kind of looked both ways, didn't see anybody, so he killed the guy and buried him in the sand. <laughs> and then the next day when he realized somebody knew about it, he takes off and leaves the country. You know, I mean, this was no little, oops, I didn't pray right, or, I mean, we're talking murder here. <laughs> One of the very first things that we hear about Moses, the great Moses, is committing a murder and then skipping the country because <laughs> now he's freaked out of the consequences, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes you just got to stop and think about that, you know. I mean, you hear about some of the failings of ministers these days, which we've heard a lot of. We haven't heard of any of them killing anybody, <laughs> you know. I mean, you just stop and think. It's like we, we almost kind of just dismiss it and don't think twice, but that was, that was a huge deal. Um, and another one of Moses' failings, uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but in Numbers 20, we'll turn to some other stuff here later. This is when, after about, I mean, we've been in the desert a long time now, and they've had the manna, they got the water from the rock, um, you know, this is after years and years and years of God pleading on behalf of the Israelites to keep them alive. God's ready to wipe them out, and he's like, no, 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 and stopping <laughs> the plagues resulting from their rebellion. This is after Moses has a long, long, long track record of obedience and hearing the voice of God and serving God. And in, Moses, uh, in Numbers 20, uh, verse 6, you know, so they're in another mess, as usual. <laughs> And Moses and Aaron went down from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting, fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. So once again, they're in the glory of the Lord face to face. The Lord says to Moses, take the staff, you and your brother Aaron, gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Okay, so here we go again. Going to be good stuff. God's going to provide. So Moses took the staff as he was commanded, gathered the assembly together. And, you know, by this time, I, you know, I can't really blame Moses too much. He's kind of hacked off after dealing with these Israelites for a long time. But in his frustration, you know, he's telling them off, and he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? He raises his arm, struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community, and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy, in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. It's like, despite all he did, he had a failing that was costing him his entrance into the promised land. And, you know, we don't have a whole lot of explanation of why the cost of that failing was so severe, but, you know, this was, here was Moses after all this time, and, and even he, <laughs> after all he had seen and done, he didn't obey the Lord and blew it. He had a failing. David, another great example of somebody who's not characterized by failure. You know, I mean, we think of David, this is, you know, killed the giant, you know, stayed faithful and honored Saul, even though Saul became an evil king. He's, you know, killed the lion and the bear, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the man after God's own heart, and he becomes king. And, you know, even David, in the midst of all that great stuff, he did have some failings. Um, one of the 
one of the failings he had was when he was king and the Ark of the Covenant had been, you know, off elsewhere and he decided he wanted to bring it back in to the temple. And, you know, God, way back when he told Moses <laughs> how it was supposed to be handled, I mean, there was very specific protocol how God wanted the Ark of his presence, the Ark of the Covenant handled it, was to have the poles put through the rings and carried on the shoulders of the priests. And David, in his zeal to do something really good, and he's, you know, scripture says he's worshiping the Lord with all his might, he and all the, as they're processing, but they weren't doing it how God said. He failed to obey what God said, and so they had it on a cart instead of on the priest's shoulders. And so as one of the oxen kind of stumbled and the thing starts to fall off, you know, a guy reaches out to steady it to keep the ark from falling and gets struck dead. It's like David's failing cost a life in that case be simply because he didn't obey. Um, another failing of David, very well known, of course, is um, his sin with Bathsheba, which is in Second um, Samuel 11. We get the account of David and Bathsheba. As we know, you know, he's sees a beautiful woman bathing, commits adultery, which is a big enough failing in and of itself. So then he gets word, oh, you know, by the way, David, oops, I'm pregnant. You know, her husband's off to war. So, <laughs> and scripture, you know, makes the point of saying in here, you know, because he had sent messengers to go get Bathsheba. And it's, you know, they make the little parenthetical statement in there. She had purified herself from her uncleanness, which was after having her menstrual cycle. So they make the point of saying she was not already pregnant <laughs> before they had this affair, <laughs> you know. So then she sends word to David, I'm pregnant. And, you know, what does he do? He calls for her husband out of the battlefield and, oh, well, go home to your wife. He figures if he can send her home and he'll just build the case. Oh, well, no, he was home. It's got to be, you know. He doesn't confess. He doesn't come out. I mean, he just kind of, he's adding, failing upon failing here. And, of course, as we know, the man was too honorable. He wouldn't, you know, go home, be with his wife when his troops were still out. So, okay, David concocts another plot to get the guy killed. So now, you know, David's adding <laughs> conspiracy to murder on top of his adultery. <laughs> like, man, you know, this is, these are major failings. But yet these are our leaders who were, they're not characterized by their failings. And we'll talk a little bit more about, is they didn't, I mean, David didn't resign as king. You know, Moses didn't stop leading <laughs> the Israelites to the promised land when he got busted on his failing. It's like, your failure doesn't have to stop you. Um, another, <laughs> another guy who just had some great failings, Peter, <laughs> the apostle Peter. <laughs> Man, I mean, this guy, he was getting busted on all the time <laughs> by Jesus. I mean, he was, he was always, you know, I mean, Jesus called him Satan at one point, get thee behind me, Satan, and, you know, he's kind of mouthing off all the time, and this and that, uh, you know, and he had great faith, too. I mean, don't get me wrong, this is Peter upon <laughs> which Jesus built the church. He said he's the rock, but, I mean, you remember the um, instance of him walking on the water, you know, started off as a really good idea, but he failed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, some things aren't necessarily moral failures, they're just you know, I mean, you could have a business failure. You could just have a failure of faith when money was on the line. Your faith just wasn't there. It's like Peter started off really great, but his faith just wasn't there on that one. Um, you know, when they come to arrest Jesus, 
what does Peter do? <laughs> I mean, Peter was always, he had really great intentions, you know, a lot of zeal. No, 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 Jesus, no, but they're not going to kill you. And then they come to arrest Jesus, and Peter's going to, you know, he's going to just have a bloody all-out war. <laughs> so he's, you know, wax off the high priest servant's ear with his sword, and Jesus is like, Peter, Peter, you know, it's like, he failed again to see, you know, even though Jesus had been telling them, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. It's like, you know, he didn't get it. And, of course, one of the big ones we remember about Peter is denying Jesus, you know. They sit down, Jesus telling them, you know, you're all going to fall away on account of me. And Peter's like, oh, well, maybe everybody else will, but not me, man. I am with you, Jesus. And, you know, and it says actually in there that all the rest of the disciples said the same thing, you know. So they're all like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like when money was on the line, when it was go time, Peter failed. Now I'll give him credit. He was still actually at least hanging out to be there, you know. Everybody else had really just took off. <laughs> but, you know, we've got, so we've got these people who have some major <laughs> failings. I mean, you know, I, I've had some failings in ministry. I haven't killed anybody. <laughs> haven't, you know, well, I'm not married, so I can't commit adultery. But haven't committed fornication. It's like, okay, you know, we can go. I've even had lesser failings than that. And people do. We have lesser failings than that, and we get stumped and now we're we decide we're characterized by that but it's like your failings don't have to characterize you it is not who you are and it doesn't have to hold you back and keeping a proper perspective on a failing you have big or small will help um, respond properly so that we can move through it because reality is i mean we've already all raised our hands and said yep we fail <laughs> we fail at something so a great place to start is just realize you're gonna <laughs> and it makes it a lot easier to get over it when you just don't think it's the most devastating thing. Oh, no, my life is over. It's like, no, we can, you know, respond properly and move through. I have just a couple of, I mean, there's no, failures can be different. So there's no exact formula, right or wrong way to respond to this, you know. You can't respond to failures the same way because it really depends on what they are. But I have a couple of principles on how to respond to failures. Um, the first one being, admit it. <laughs> you know, I failed. I mean, so many times we just, that is the hardest thing to do. And we can backtrack and try and justify, well, I mean, at the time I really thought this and I meant this and I had good intentions. And we try to just talk all the way around. And yeah, and all that stuff may be true, but you, in the middle of there you still failed. It's like you really can't. Even like, you know, they talk about with Alcoholics Anonymous and stuff. The first step is admitting you have a problem. <laughs> you really can't take any more steps towards dealing with something until you just admit it's there. <laughs> it's like, okay, you didn't mean to, you didn't want to, wasn't your intention, whatever, but just admit, I failed. I tried it. It was a great idea. It fell apart. <laughs> it was going to be a great investment. I really thought it was going to be good. It wasn't. I failed. You know, step number one for any failing, admit it. <laughs> just, yeah, we can, you know, suck it up and go, we're capable of failing, and just admit it. Um, another response is confess and repent any sin that might have been part of the failing. Now, some failings don't necessarily have a moral aspect to them. You know, investing in a stock that tanked, that's not really moral or immoral. That's not a sin failing. That's just a failing. But we could also have failings that, you know, do have sin involved. 
Um, obviously, you know, some of the ones we've named, <laughs> murder, adultery, I mean, anything that's breaking God's commands, having a moral failing is going to have some sin and some repentance that needs to take place. And so, you know, just admit it and confess and repent. And, you know, confess and repent aren't the same thing. We tend to rattle those things off. Confess is confessing to the Lord. And he said, you know, God said in 1 John 1, 9, you know, we confess our sins. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, great, no problem confessing. The repent part, repent, the word means do a 180. So, it's great that you confess. So, do something different. <laughs> if you had a failing here, okay, do something different the next time. <laughs> um, Another step in responding to failure to get over it is accepting responsibility and dealing with the consequences. Some failings are, they're going to have some consequences with them. You know, David's consequence of his failing with Bathsheba, I mean, his failing, I mean, had some consequences there. I mean, he had now, and he had already, of course, taken her as his wife before he ever got, you know, exposed by the prophet of the Lord. But the consequence, you know, God had said, you know, calamity will always remain in your house. He now had the consequence of he was going to be the king of war <laughs> and continually fighting to establish peace. His sons would walk in the peace, but he wouldn't. He also had the consequence of, you know, God had said, you know, this child is going to die. And he, you know, prayed and he fasted, but that son died and he still had now the responsibility of consoling Bathsheba, which scripture says he did. You know, he went and he worshiped the Lord and he moved on and responded, but there were consequences he had to accept. And he didn't complain about them. You know, when God told Moses, you're not going in the promised land for this one, buddy. I mean, Moses didn't complain. You know, at least we don't have any record of him going, well, fine, then I'm not, you know, leading these people anymore and they're all yours. <laughs> It's like sometimes we, we want to whine and complain and blame somebody else for the consequences of our failing, and we're forgiven from it. We shouldn't stay in, you know, that spot of having failed, but, you know, sometimes the reality is there's some consequences, and sometimes the consequences are, you know, involve people. We've got to clean some stuff up in relationships. Um, you know, it's like <laughs> maybe I'm the one that went down in flames, but... I had a bunch of people standing around me, so they all got burned. <laughs> it's like it might have been my failing, but people I'm in relationship might have still suffered some ill effects because of whatever that failing was. And so to stop and, you know, we clear our hearts with God, but we might have a little cleanup to do, and that's okay. And, you know, one of the easier ways of doing a cleanup, if somebody comes to me and says, I screwed up, I'm really sorry, and I need to make this right, you know, cleanup's a lot easier with that whole admitting thing right out front. <laughs> it's like we confess, we repent, we can clean up and move on. And, you know, maybe people might not come around as easily, but we can certainly make the effort. And then the big thing about responding is um, very much the same as what Donna was talking about last week in transition. Learn the lesson. You know, if there's a lesson to be learned in your failure learn the lesson, and then keep going. I mean, like I said, all of these folks that we've talked about already so far, Moses, David, Peter, they didn't quit, you know. Moses didn't stop. He didn't go, well, I'm not fit to be a leader. I'm a failure as a leader. 
he, he fulfilled his destiny. He didn't let that keep him out of his destiny. Peter could have been like, oh no, I denied Christ. I am not worthy to be in the ministry anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's blasphemy. I'm, you know, he was the rock. I mean, he's the one that we see at Pentecost standing up, preaching faith, getting, you know, 3,000 saved right then and there. Basically, that's the beginnings of the church that we're all still a part of. And he went on to do powerful ministry in the earth. It's like, okay, he learned his lesson. I bet you he never denied Christ again. And church history says that, you know, when it came time and they martyred him, that, and the Roman soldiers, you know, they weren't really known for their niceties in their executions. And they liked to just crucify people in various positions just for their own amusement. And so, which is what I was reading, part of the historical backing of Peter being crucified upside down. He said he didn't want to be equated with Jesus, so he didn't want to be crucified on the cross the same way Jesus was because he thought, I'm not worthy to, to be crucified like Jesus was, so he was crucified upside down. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a guy who, he got his lesson and he kept going. I mean, aren't we all grateful? Had he not been there on the day of Pentecost, <laughs> where would we be? You know. So it's like, if you have a failing, no matter what it is, okay, keep going. And I'll give you a little bit of encouragement too. You're probably going to have a failing in the very thing that God's called you and anointed you to do. If God's called you to business, you're probably going to have a failing in business. If God has called you to ministry, you are going to probably screw up in ministry. So <laughs> even in your great zeal, I mean, I, I, I love Peter because... I thought, man, in my great zeal to do things, I have taken some really great face plans <laughs> where ministry is concerned. <laughs> I remember this one time years ago. This is actually before I knew anybody in this room. But uh, I had been asked to help lead the worship track for a conference for high schoolers, high school leaders. And so they had a track. I can't even remember what all the different tracks were. But one of them was worship. And so... Uh, I was not the key speaker, but the key speaker had asked me to help. And so, you know, (laughs) by delegated authority, you know, I'm in the mix of, I'm actually supposed to be in charge of some of these things. The speaker had asked me to do whatever. And we had these breakout sessions. We're working with the kids and we're playing music for, you know, the last service. And then they had brought in this I, I still to this day don't really understand <laughs> what the logic was behind this, but they brought in this guy who was going to be doing some stuff with the drama track. So good, great, fine. So he wasn't there for the whole conference, but he just came in like the last day and a half. And he was doing some work with the drama stuff. And then somehow he ended up like trying to change everything that we had been doing on the worship track. And you know, and I'm, I'm like the kids, some of this was original music that had been written, and, you know, so I'm all in my zeal and advocacy of, no, you know, I was supposed to be doing this, and these kids, we can't just yank this out from under them, and we planned and prepared and whatever, and so, you know, there was this little bit of a power struggle, because we really both were authorized to be doing what we were doing. They had hired him to come in and do whatever, so he was doing what he thought he was supposed to be doing, and I was doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing, and neither one of us had the, you know, sense clearly to just let go and submit to the other. <laughs> so we're having this battle the whole time. We get to this service. I mean, I tell you. So there's like 300 people, and it was a, a Catholic service, but we were doing some contemporary music in it. And But, you know, if you've been in a Catholic service, it's got some good structure in there. And 
there were all these last minute changes back and forth because we couldn't agree on anything. And so in all the changes, I somehow didn't have all the changes <laughs> written down correctly. So, you know, we're getting to the high point of the service and I bust out in the totally wrong song at the totally wrong spot. <laughs> you know, it's like 300 people looking at you and this guy, you know, did not back me one bit, of course, because he's like, what, you know, we've been going like this the whole time. So he just, you know, I tried to gracefully end out of whatever was wrong. But it's like, we need to talk about your great, wonderful public failure. <laughs> you know, obviously I didn't stop leading worship because of that failure. <laughs> I didn't stop anything in leadership because of that failure. I learned some really good lessons. I, I did. I learned a lot about, you know, there is, division doesn't do anything but hurt everybody involved. The kids, both of us had this agenda of, you know, on behalf of the kids, and it blew up because of, you know, it was like, it didn't really matter at that point who was right and who was wrong, because we blew the whole thing up. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I've, I learned some lessons, and I kept going, but, so I, I feel with Peter, you know, in the zeal, you, you get in there, and you want to do what's right, and you think you're doing what's for God, and what you've been authorized to do, and you can still be wrong and fail, so. <laughs> we just move on. But, you know, I didn't let that characterize me as, oh, I'm a failure in worship, you know. I mean, I've screwed up plenty. Goodness sakes, how many problems did we have just tonight? <laughs> Break guitars, this and that. I mean, granted, string breaking isn't necessarily a personal failure on my part, but, you know, it's like we can, you don't characterize yourself by a failing. You take it and you move on. And so I want to look at, because one of the things that really irritates me, you talk about what somebody's characterized by. And I mean, our culture does this. We've done it in the church. We take a snippet of somebody's life. I mean, the news is great for this. You'll, they'll take a snippet, show a story of some crazy thing, or even just some crazy allegation. It might not even be true. And that person is painted as that forever. They don't ever report the follow-up of, oh, he was cleared of the charges, or, oh, this was, you know, a false alarm, or there was more to the story, you know. This very one-sided thing, we, we tend to just characterize stuff off of something very limited. And we do this, I think, in the church, too, with scriptures. We take some of these folks and we'll either characterize them as great and kind of just gloss over the reality of, you know, they had some failings. There's some good lessons in there for us to gain if we're just willing to acknowledge, yeah, there was, there was a failing there. Great, great, you know, ministry, but okay, let's learn from that and not do that. Or we do the flip side, you know, one person is, they've done something bad and we just characterize them as that's it and not look at the totality of, no, that was an incident, but their character was faith. Their character was loyalty and devotion. And so there are um, a couple of folks I want to look here at that I think get a bad rap. They get characterized by their failure, and it's really not who they were. They had an incident of a failure. And just how, you know, Jesus responded to them, too. It's great encouragement <laughs> to me. The first one I want us to look at, if you flip to the book of John, chapter 20. Doubting Thomas. Now, there's a guy that gets characterized by his failing. <laughs> I mean, to this day, 2,000 years later, we're calling the guy by his failure. I mean, we've so characterized him that we've named him that, Doubting Thomas. <laughs> and I just, you know, for one thing, I don't think it's fair. 
because if we look in scripture, let alone what we know of his life after, you know, the canon of scripture being closed, it's like this guy, he was not characterized by doubt in any stretch of the sense. But if we start in John 20, verse 24, of course, this is when um, Jesus has died, been crucified, and now he's been raised up. He showed up and appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. So, you know, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus is back. He's alive. Woohoo. And Thomas is like, uh, I want to, I, I got to see this for myself, <laughs> you know. So in verse 24, it says, now Thomas, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. So a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Okay, now if we back up, okay, what he just did here, Jesus consented, you know, gave him the concession of, Okay, look at, look at my hands, see my side, I, it's me. And we kind of go, well, you know, everybody else just had it easier and he should have believed. But if you back up a few verses, into, starting at 19, where Jesus showed up to the rest of the disciples the first time, it's the exact same scenario, shows up with the doors locked for fear. Jesus comes in, says, peace be with you, verse 20. After this, he says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It's like this was not a special concession he made for Thomas because he was flaked out. This was exactly what he gave all the other disciples. <laughs> he showed them the very same thing. You know, we're not calling it doubting Peter and doubting whoever. It's like this was, this was not a, a, I mean, it was... A little bit of a failing because he could have believed, I suppose. But, you know, this was not something that Jesus expected him to do that the others had already done. Jesus gave him the same consideration he gave the others. And if you look back to, flip back a few chapters to chapter 11. I mean, then you kind of go, well, Thomas wasn't there. And, you know, why did Jesus expect Thomas to believe then if he hadn't been there? And in the end, he gave him the same concession. But if you look, chapter 11, verse 16, this is when they're on their way to raise Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus had been avoiding Jerusalem because the chief priests were out to kill him. And, you know, so he's like, no, we're going. We're going to go raise, you know, <laughs> raise him up. And the disciples are like, ah, you know, are you sure you want to do this? Because they've been trying to kill you. And so they're trying, the other disciples are trying to talk Jesus out of doing what he's just said he's going to do. Go raise the guy from the dead. Verse 16, then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Everybody else is trying to talk him out of it. Thomas is the one who says, let's go with you. If it means we die, we die, but we're with you, Jesus. <laughs> you know, I think this is why Jesus was kind of extending him the opportunity to maybe have more faith than the others did. Because this is what he was characterized by. He was characterized by faith and devotion, not by doubt. 
And he went on, church history talks about, Thomas went on through a couple different um, provinces, but ended up founding numerous churches in India. Had a huge, he was getting, um, at least so records show, had saved several prominent Buddhist families and started, um, they say something about the seven and a half churches in India. I'm not sure what the half part is. But I mean, this is a guy who, he went on to do tremendous, powerful ministry in India. And to this day, he's still revered for his ministry in India. It's like, this was not Doubting Thomas. This is Faithful Thomas. <laughs> he had one incident, but we, you know, the church wants to just characterize him as, oh, Doubting Thomas. It's like, no, his character was faith and devotion. Um, another one I want to look at that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> if you flip back to the book of Luke, chapter 10, I want to look at two people that I think get a bad, they get an unfair, one-sided view. Um, Mary and Martha. You know, you hear Mary and Martha immediately come to your mind, well, Mary was, she was the slacker, she got all worked up, whatever, Mary did what was better, because she was sitting at Jesus' feet. It's like, we've characterized these two, and this is what gets taught all the time. I mean, what else do you know of Martha other than that incident, right? It's like, no, if you take a fair look, you know, keep a good perspective of what are you characterized by? Is it really just this failing? So I, th I want to take a little wander through their story because there's much more written about both of them than just that one instance. So we start off with Martha's failing because that's kind of the first one we hear about. In Luke 10, verse 38, starting there, <laughs> so Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village, which we know is the town of Bethany, where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Okay, so we got a crowd of people traveling. The crowd shows up, and she's like, come on in. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So this is the first we hear of Martha. And we've got somebody who, and I, see, I, I'm a Martha. I can just, I can vouch for Martha. I feel her pain. I know exactly how she got to where she did. <laughs> It, Martha's a doer. She obviously had some resources because she was the one opening her home, hosting, you know, whatever get-together. And, you know, and I think we all do this, but she got distracted with the work of the ministry <laughs> she walked into. <laughs> you know, she volunteered this. Jesus didn't show up and ask anything of her. She was the one who did it. But she got off track. She got, I mean, the scripture says she got distracted. She got distracted by the work. And haven't we done this? It's like we get distracted by the work of the very thing that we set out to do. <laughs> and then we start complaining about it. And Jesus, you know, he calls her on it and says, you know, you're distracted. And she's like, come on, well, get, you know, my sister should be helping me. Because isn't that how we get when we start getting overwhelmed? Well, somebody else, they should be helping me. You know, it's like, this wasn't Mary's house. It says it was Martha's house. Mary wasn't the one who initiated any of this. And, you know, this little line here, I can't necessarily say I have scriptural backing for this, but this is just my Jen Young interpretation of this. 
In this verse 42 here, Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better. And in my mind, I kind of expand that to Jesus saying, Mary has chosen what is better for her. You know, Mary wasn't called to be doing that work, to be doing that serving. She, she couldn't have handled it. It wasn't her ministry. It wasn't her baby. She was doing what she needed to be doing. And Martha just needed to, you know, she needed that rebuke that she got from Jesus to remember, why are you doing what you're doing? You know, sometimes I think that's a good reminder for all of us as we start getting overwhelmed by things. It's like, why are we doing what we're doing? There was a good godly reason we set out to do it. And we need to stay focused on what that was. So that was Martha's failing. But that's not the end of her story, obviously. And it's not the end of Mary's story either. Because so we have this picture that, you know, well, Martha was the bad one and Mary was the good one. But really, they both failed and they both succeeded. So if we skip back over to the book of John, chapter 11, where we were, and this is, now, verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Okay, so John set in the stage here of who these people are. And then he goes further to explain this Mary, whose brother was Lazarus, now lay sick, was the one who does some stuff later on, blah, blah, blah which we'll get to. So, obviously that one time at Martha's house wasn't the only time because this is, you know, they knew Jesus. He had been there. They're sending word to him. And it says in verse 3, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it, verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So it's like he knew them. He had a personal, ongoing relationship with them. This was not just you know, one-time person that had stopped by and visit, now they're calling on Jesus. I mean, they're kind of setting the stage here of these are people who had reason and relationship to be, you know, calling on Jesus to come. So we skip down. So we know that Jesus, he stayed a couple days, Lazarus dies. Can't raise somebody from the dead if they don't die. So Jesus intentionally waits till it's too late. They've done, had the funeral, put him in the tomb, everything. Verse 17, so now Jesus is finally showing up to Mary and Martha. On his arrival, Jesus found, already been dead, in the tomb, blah, blah, blah. Many Jews, because they were only a couple miles from Jerusalem, had come to comfort Mary and Martha in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. You stop there. This is Mary, who previously sat at Jesus' feet, <laughs> listening to everything he said, wouldn't be distracted. You know, just the heart of sitting in his presence and worship. And now, you know, they've called for Jesus. He didn't come till the brother is already dead. This, now Mary doesn't even leave the house to go meet him. You know, you're kind of like, what's going on here? So Mary's got nothing. Mary's staying in the house. Martha goes out to meet him, though. And Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Which I think is an interesting statement. I, you could probably preach on that for a while. But, you know, her opening comment to Jesus is basically an accusation. <laughs> She's basically saying, you let us down. If you and, and don't we do that when we're in pain anyway? I mean, it's <laughs> when we're in pain, it's find somebody to blame. <laughs> so she's, you know... She's hurting. She's not denying that she's hurting. And Jesus, if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. 
you know, she's implying we were counting on you and you let us down. However, she says, in the midst of all this, so she, her brother's dead. Her sister won't even come out of the house. She was looking at Jesus, who she loves, and he's disappointed her. But she still manages to say, but I know, in verse 22, that even now God will give you whatever you ask. It's like when the moment came, she had faith. She was standing in faith. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. So in the best of her understanding, Martha's adding her faith again. I know he'll rise again in the, you know, in the resurrection and at the last day. <laughs> Wasn't really what Jesus meant, but as best she understood it, she was going to put her faith there. So Jesus, you know, he's going to explain a little more. <laughs> I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So in the midst of all this, what is Martha saying? Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. It's like, ooh, we've overcome failure. Here we are at the moment of pain and trial, and she can stand and look Jesus in the face and say, you're the Messiah, I know you're the one. Whatever you ask, God will do. Okay? So let's look at what Mary's doing. So... They've, you know, Martha goes and gets Mary because she still wasn't coming. And in verse 32, <laughs> when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, what do you know? So I guess they were sitting around the house commiserating about, because <laughs> later on, the group of people, the Jews from Jerusalem, they say the same thing. It's like, I promise you they were sitting around you know, roasting Jesus. If he would have been here, it would have been him. You know, that's the first thing out of both their mouths. It was your fault. <laughs> you could have stopped it, but you didn't. Okay, but Martha followed hers up with faith. You know, she, she got her little thing out of her system, but she stood in faith. So Mary, the worshiper, sit at Jesus' feet. When she finally, you know, gets dragged out of the house to go see Jesus, that's all she's got. If you would have been here, my brother went to die. That's it. The great worshiper, you know, here's her failing. She had a failing of faith. When her time of pain and trouble came, she couldn't stand and put her faith in Jesus. You know, kind of a little bit different story than, <laughs> you know, a few chapters back when the tables were turned. Of course, as we know, and Jesus, he doesn't bust on either of them for this, you know. He never addresses this whole accusation issue. We don't have a scripture later on about, okay, after Lazarus was raised and fine, now you know you all really should have believed in me, and I don't appreciate that you accused me because my disciples can vouch that I said I was coming to heal your... I mean, you know, it's like that's a whole little side issue there, but, you know, Jesus is kind and compassionate, and he understood they were in pain. He was there to do what he was going to do, so he raises Lazarus, and all is well. Good stuff. So we've had Mary and Martha. Both had a failing. Both had a success. And this is what I love about God. It's like he never, in the midst of anybody's failing, he never shut Peter down. He never took Peter and said, you know, I really don't think you should be on my staff anymore. You're continuing to repeatedly, <laughs> you're saying stuff, and I'm always having to call you in line, and you're hitting people and cutting off ears. It's like, you know, he dealt with every instance, but he never characterized him as a failure and dismissed him. And with Mary and Martha, same thing. He, he dealt with their instances of failings, but he never characterized them as that or shut them down out of their calling. 
So when Jesus raises Lazarus, and this is, you know, was the final straw with the chief priests. This is when they're like, that's it, we're killing him. So scripture says that he, you know, left and didn't come back. He doesn't come back to Jerusalem until it's the Passover and crucifixion. So if you keep going here, da -da 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 into 12, just flip a page if you need to. So now we've got Jesus is coming back to Bethany. <laughs> they must have just been like Emporia on 95, that he just always stopped in and saw them when he was on his way into Jerusalem. <laughs> so verse 1 in chapter 12, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, so he's back in town. And the first time this really dawned on me, I mean, I just cried. But here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was reclining at the table. This is Martha who got busted on for getting distracted serving before. Jesus has come back to their house again. Martha served. She's fulfilling her destiny. <laughs> Anyone who's like me, who's had the Martha moment, you got distracted, you hacked about the work, whatever, it's like, Jesus didn't shut her down out of her destiny. It was here she is, fulfilling exactly what she was called to do. She got the lesson. I mean, and I can just almost picture, you know, Jesus is sitting there, and she's probably walking around filling drinks. I mean, I don't know what they're <laughs> doing. Maybe she's bringing out the bread and everything. It's like, you know, I can just see them kind of just having a little, that knowing eye contact of, yeah, and she just keeps going about doing her thing. It's like, I mean, that was just the biggest blessing to me. And Martha served. And then, not only is she, I mean, she's doing exactly what has been in her heart to serve the Lord, but she is setting the stage for her sister Mary, the worshiper, who, when chips were down, <laughs> she thought Jesus wasn't coming through for her. But now, you know, she got her lesson too, because now Mary performs the landmark act of worship in all of history. She took, in verse 3, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, poured it, poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped it with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. I mean, this is, this is their character. The worshiper and the servant fulfilling their destinies. It's like, I mean, I hope this is as encouraging to you as it was to me when this all first dawned on me. It's like, you know, we've, we get these little snippets and kind of just think this is who they are, but no, this is who they are. So, you know, we can overcome our failures, even in our, our failures in the area of the thing we're exactly supposed to be doing, and Jesus lets us go forward and fulfill our destiny. He doesn't shut us down. He doesn't, you know... He'll deal with something <laughs> as it comes up, and if we admit it, confess, and then keep going. <laughs> That's just what I want to encourage you so much is when you have a failing, keep going. Don't stop doing what you're supposed to be doing. Don't let a failure determine who you are. And even if people want to hold it over your head, well, you know, last time, whatever. It's like you can say, yes, I had that failing, but... I have changed, and that is not who I am, and go forward into success. So, ah, let's pray. Lord God, I'm so grateful you don't characterize us by our failings. 
But God, you give us the mercy and the grace and the rebuke if we need it to get the lesson and to overcome our failings. But God, I thank you that you keep your arms and the doors open wide for us to continue to serve you and to walk in our destinies, Lord God. I just pray now for all of us who have been in the midst of a failing or recently came out of one, God, that you would give us the, the wisdom and the insight to and the grace to admit what the failing was, God, to right any wrongs that need to be righted, Lord God. And I thank you for giving us insight into the lesson so that we can apply it and not make the same mistake again. And Lord, if we haven't just come out of a failing, God, I thank you that you encourage us and prepare us in advance so that we would respond in faith and with grace and overcome and move forward, Lord God. And I thank you that you've ordained each and every one of us for purpose in your kingdom, Lord God, and that nothing, no failing of ours can keep us out of that, Lord God, but that your grace and your mercy is abundant. So I just pray blessing on these people tonight. I call them blessed. I call them wise. I call them learning all of their lessons <laughs> from any failings that they've had, learning them quickly and applying them so that they can move forward into great and mighty success. They say these people are characterized by their faith, by their worship, by their hope, by their endurance, and by their love of God. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia, 23328. Thank you.